0: Amen and amen church. It is exciting to be with you today. Let's get started by talking to the neighbor. Should we, even if you don't like your neighbors, act like you do for a second. Tell them it's time to take a step. Tell your neighbor, it's time to take a step. God is, oh my gosh. D- did you hear they're paving the road out there? I mean, come on. That thing, God, my, I don't know, God, you're up to something. I just know that. I, up. Uh, let me start with a question. Who here, as a kid, you, you had a lot of, you remember going on family vacations? You had family vacations, right? Okay, somebody, okay, a quarter of you. The rest of you were neglected. I'm sorry. So, online, if you're watching, of course you're watching because you're online. So, if you had a family vacation, tell me where you went. I want to know where you went. Where was your family vacation when you were a kid? Where was yours? Was it, was it Disney World? Disneyland? The Grand Canyon? Worlds of Fun? You know where the Gannons went? We traveled about five hours through the beautiful state of South Dakota, up to north-central South Dakota, to the vacation spot of Watauga, South Dakota. Yeah, right. You're looking at me like you're not familiar with Wataga. You should Google it. If you did, you'd still find nothing. It's, there's not much there. But my grandma and grandpa were there. And something I always remember about going there was this. Two things, actually. One was the vacation for us never started until we actually got there. Because when we got in the vehicle, when the Gannon six kids piled in the, the, the Caprice Classic station wagon, by the way, the, the, you know, the station wagon with the, the third seat facing the other direction. I mean, who, who was Chevy, was that the, who brainstormed that? One day they came and they're like, we really got to change it up this year. What should we do? I know. Let's put the seats in backwards. It's like, what? I mean, it was so awkward because I'd sit back with my sister and we'd be like waving at the car behind us. Please don't rear-end us because there's no seatbelts. And if there is, I don't know. It was just, it was so unsafe. But that was our trip. And the other thing that was unsafe about this trip that I'll never forget as a kid. Now remember, I'm looking through the lens of a kid. When we traveled up to my grandma and grandpa's, we crossed the Missouri River. In the Missouri River in the summer, they're always doing construction, kind of like they did in Sioux City, you know, for 45 years. So it was like that. And I, I just remember it, was, it seemed so rickety and unsafe because there's always all this construction hanging all over the place. And I remember asking my mom one time because, because I couldn't swim. Like, I didn't learn to swim until I was probably 13 or 14. but That's a whole nother counseling session. Anyway, so, so I couldn't swim. So I remember thinking, one of these times, I know what's going to happen. The car is going to careen off the bridge and we'll, we'll plunge into Missouri. Because why wouldn't I think that? So I asked my mom, and I look back at her answer. It was wrong on so many levels. I said, Mom, if that happens, if the car goes over the bridge, you know, the construction, and we, we, we careen in the, 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 the station wagon, goes in the Missouri River, I, I can't swim. What do I do? Now, you would think Mom would say, Honey, that's crazy talk. That's not going to... That would never... No, you know what my mom told me? She said, sweetie, what you do is, uh, since you can't swim, just take a big, deep breath when you're in the water, and your lungs will fill up with air, and you'll rise to the top. And I was like, that, is, that does not help. Okay, Eventually, Mom, I have to exhale. I can't swim. Even if, I, even if that worked, I'm still a dead man. It just prolongs the agony. That's what she told me. I kid you not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask my mom about that still. I, I can't believe she gave that advice. I, um, the point of the story is this. I told you right away the vacation to my grandma and grandpas, it didn't really happen. It didn't really begin until we arrived in Watauga, we got to the ranch, we unloaded out of the Caprice Classic Chevy station wagon, and the, the vacation began. The, we're in a series called Faith Beyond Doubt. Say faith. Faith. Last week, we looked at a story of Moses, and his big purpose in life, one of his, was to lead the Israelites out of slavery. We pick a story up today right there. The Israelites, where they're at right now, let me just tell you where they're at. They, they're out of slavery. They've stepped away from, they, they're in the wagon. They're in the station wagon, okay? They're out of slavery, but they're not to Watauga yet. They're not to the promised land. And so, and, and some of you, that's where you're at. And I'll explain that more in just a second. But, so, so they, in fact, one of the greatest miracles has just happened. You know, the parting of the Red Sea? That has just happened. So God parts the Red Sea. Some of you know this story. The Israelites passed through the Red Sea, and the Egyptians try to pass through the Red Sea. God shuts the water together or uh, closes that gap. And all the Israelites are taken out. And the, or all the Egyptians are taken out and the Israelites are safe. That's where I want to pick up the story. I'm going to preach. I'm going to give you some verses out of Exodus. That's the second book of the Bible. But the main teaching is going to be out of Numbers. Isn't that exciting? I bet you were driving to church today. God, I hope the pastor preaches out of the book of Numbers. I can't wait. I, I just, I'm dying. I promise you, you're going to be blessed. That book is amazing. And if you don't know it, you're going you're to find out real quick. Exodus 14, 31. They've just passed through the Red Sea. Let's pick it up. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power of the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they witnessed this miracle, you guys. They were filled with awe. Of course they were. I mean, he just parted a sea. They put their faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. So the Israelites, all these these Jewish people, they put their faith in God. They put it in Moses. But how many of you know that when you put your faith in something, you can quickly take it back? Like, putting your faith in something isn't just a one-time thing. It, It is like a daily choice to put your faith in something. It is a daily, like, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation, regardless of the person you know, in front of you driving below the speed limit. God help them. Seriously, God, help them along. Speed them up. So it doesn't matter. Faith is not a one-time thing. And the Israelites prove it. In fact, I'll tell you something. That was out of chapter 14. You know Exodus 15, the majority of that chapter, you know what it is? It's the Israelites singing a song of deliverance. They are so excited about what God did. They put their faith in God, they put it in servant Moses. And 15, almost that entire chapter, they are singing a song. God, you're so great. God, you're so good. God, you'll never let us down. All this stuff. Hmm. Things change. Turn to your neighbor and say, three days later. Three days later. I, 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 did, I did this. I said, anyway, so anyway, God help me. So three days later, they turn against Moses and they turn against God. Wow, but, but he had all your faith. Actually, he didn't. Exodus 16:3. This is the Israelites complaining in the desert. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. They want to die. There we sat around. At least we had pots filled with meat and we ate all the bread we wanted. But now, Moses, you brought us into the wilderness to to starve us to death. I mean, think about what they're saying. Insanity. But but there's fear involved there, right? And fear always assumes the worst. It always does. I'll never forget this was before we moved to Omaha. Uh, Jake and Ava, you were, you were little. You guys were all tucked away in bed and all being good like you were, like you used to be. Anyway, no, you're all right. So um, we, they were in bed. Our kids were in bed, and Jody and I were laying in bed, and we hear this prominent noise downstairs. And I'm like, dang it. And I turn to Jody. I'm like, Jody, did you hear that? She's like, yes, I heard that. And I said, are you gonna go check it out? And she's like, no you're gonna go check it out and I'm like oh, I was hoping you wouldn't say that so I grab my nine iron I mean I can't hit a golf ball with it but I guarantee if someone's in front of me I can hit them so I grab my nine iron and I walk down the stairs and it was I don't so I'm walking down the stairs and I got my nine iron stuff and I get down there to the bottom and, I, and I'm in the, I turn to the kitchen I look in the kitchen and standing in the kitchen is a man holding a gun I'm just kidding. There's no guy. You guys are so funny. I'm just making sure you're with me, okay? So, <laughs> there will be no food on the ground that day. But guess what they did? They doubted. They go out on the seventh day. They go out on the seventh day, and what do they find? They find no food. Of course, you don't. God said there wouldn't be food there. But you doubted, you didn't believe. I'll give you one more out of Exodus. I'm trying to show you how much doubt and unbelief the Israelites had. They said they believed in God. They said they trusted God. They said they put their faith in God. They didn't. They took it back right away. Last one in Exodus, 17.3. But tormented by thirst, they're going to complain again. They argue to Moses, Why'd you bring us out of Egypt? They were slaves, remember, in Egypt. Why'd you bring us out? Well, you're, Are you trying to kill us, kill our children, kill our livestock? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Moses is thinking, that wasn't the original plan, but I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it now. I mean, they are just complaining and complaining. God has led them out of slavery and out of Egypt. So you might think, okay, they've been, they're out of bondage. They're living in the promise of God. What was the original promise of God? What was the original promise way back to Abraham? I'll remind you. Here's the original promise in Exodus 3. So I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians. This is God speaking. Out of the land. To bring them up from the land to a good and large land. A land flowing with milk and honey. So, so they, they, they... See, God brought them out so he could bring them in. This is what I want you to know. See, some of you... You're wondering why life is the way it is. And you're wondering, well, why, why am I not experiencing the, the abundant life that God promised? I mean, I, 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 if you're saved, you, 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 you believe in Jesus, but yet your life, it doesn't maybe look m- much different than anybody else. Jesus, you promised abundant life, but I'm not living it. And, and so many people are there. They've been, they've been delivered from something, they just haven't stepped into it. For the Israelites, I wrote it down, I said... They were brought out of the prison. They they hadn't stepped into the promise. And and, and it's so key that we get this. I mean, some of you, you're free, but you're not flourishing. Okay? When God saved you, check this out. He didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something. He saved you for something. Today, we're stepping into the promise. Today, you and I together on this journey with the Israelites, we're stepping into the promise. I'm just going to declare it for you. God. So let's get to the main teaching. So Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. So, right? So then, um, so you got, Exodus was the second book. Genesis, of course, the first. The fourth book is Numbers. This is where we pick up the journey of their plight in the desert as they try to get into the promised land, right? So Numbers 13, 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, oh, let me, I got to set this up. So here's where they're at. They're getting ready to enter the promised land. Uh, Moses sends in 12 guys to, to check out the land. Hey, go in and check it out, the promised land, the land flowing of milk and honey. Check it out, scout it out, come back and give us your report after 40 days. That's where they're at. The guys get back after their 40-day trek. They return, and, and in verse 26 it says, They return to Moses and Moses' brother Aaron and the whole community of the Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community. Now, the whole community... This would be a huge community. They'd have to, rep- I mean, and they didn't have one of these, so they would have to kind of send it down the line. Scholars believe that Moses, that the crowd that Moses brought out of Egypt was close to 2 million people. 2 million people let out of slavery that, that, that get to go into God's promise. They, they've, been out, they've been let out of something. They just haven't stepped into it. They just, haven't, they just haven't stepped into something better. So, after exploring, this is our report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to, to enter we enter the land to explore and indeed it's a bountiful country the land flowing with milk and honey and i gotta pause because someone's taking that literal uh, Maud, is that really i mean milk and honey that'd be kind of i don't know it's not really that would be kind of cool actually but it wasn't actually milk and honey flowing around they're describing the provision of the land the, the beauty of the land. The lushness of the land. The opportunity in the land. thats what, Every time you hear that, that's what they're thinking. That's what they're talking about. So here's the kind of fruit it produces. And they show the fruit that came out of the land. Amazing, beautiful fruit. But, and as the prophet Sir Mix-a-Lot would say, that's a big but. That's a big but. And I'm going to show you why. I'm sorry. But the people living there are powerful Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. And the Amalekites live in the Gab, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites. They live up in the hill country. And, And down below along the Mediterranean Sea, there's the Canaanites along the Jordan Valley. We saw them all. And then Caleb, one of the 12 that went in, Caleb steps in and says this. He says, or it says he tried to quiet all the people. Shh, quiet. He stood before Moses. You guys, let's go. Let's go at once to take the land. Let's do it. We can do this. We can conquer it. We can go. See, Caleb knew something. Caleb knows that there is a window of opportunity. See, God's blessings are like that. And windows open and windows close. You don't want to miss out on what God has for you. And so many people do for various reasons. One of the biggest ones you're going to to get today. So so Caleb's like, you guys, we can do this. They're not that big. The cities, they're not that, we can, we can, God told us. God promised it. God said, if God said it, he'll do it. So, but they're not having it. Caleb bleeds with them, but the other men who had explored the land, they disagreed. We can't. We can't go up against them. We can't do it. They're stronger than we are. So what they did is they spread the report. All through the 2 million people, they spread a bad report about about the land among the Israelites. They said, the land we traveled, you guys, we we explored. If we explore it, they'll devour anyone that goes there. All the people, they were huge. See, notice all the people are huge now, not just some. They're all huge now. And now there's even bigger people, giant people, descendants of Anak. Uh, Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. That's what they thought we were too. You You can hear the fear. And what their fear do, their fear leads to doubt. And ultimately, where did their doubt take them? Unbelief. See, that, that, that's always the progression. There's fear, there's doubt. What are you doubting? And then there's unbelief. I used to believe it, but I don't anymore. And you, and, and you, you want to know what unbelief really is? And you, you probably never heard it described this way. Unbelief is rebellion against God. It is. It, it's crazy to think that way. And it's not me saying it. God said it. I'll show it to you in just a minute it's rebellion against God. Rebellion against God. So, and I don't know if they ever believed in the first place. Let let me, something that I read this week, and I've read this scripture multiple times, I never noticed something, the verbiage that the Israelites were using. Listen to 1327. This was their report to Moses. Remember when they were going to give the report? Here's their verbiage. Listen to it. We enter the land that you sent us to explore. Well, that's interesting. If they really believed the promise that God gave them, wouldn't they be saying, we enter the land that God promised to us. We enter the land that, that is ours. We enter the land that we have declared to be, to be what God has given us. They don't say any of that. What they're saying is, we entered the land that you told us to go into. They're not owning it. I don't think they ever believed it. I, I don't think they ever truly believed it. I wrote down, it's hard to step into God's promise when you never believed it in the first place. It really is. When I was in drug rehab the first time, welcome to Meadows Church. So when I was in drug rehab the first time, I remember they had all of us together in one room. And there's probably 25, 30 guys and gals in this room. And this is a 30-day inpatient treatment. And some guy comes in, and he comes in and he says, all right, based on the number of people in this room, two of you, two of you will make it. Two of you will get out of here and you'll stay clean and you'll live your life right. But the rest of you, you'll go back. And I'm sitting there thinking, if this guy's trying to give a motivational speech right now, I'm not sure. I just, I don't know. So anyway, so maybe he's just trying to scare us. But here's what I thought. I knew right away, I'm not one of the two. I knew it like that. Even before he was done talking, I'm not one of them. Because I didn't believe. I didn't believe it would happen. I didn't believe the promise that God had for me. And trust me, oh my gosh well, I'll say it this way. Outlook, say outlook. Outlook. Say determines. Say outcome. Outcome. Your outlook determines your outcome. Your outlook, the reason I didn't get clean after that first rehab wasn't because of anything that they did or anything God did. It was my outlook. I already, I was defeated before, before I walked into place. Your outlook determines your outcome. When you, what is your outlook on life? I'm asking. Like when you look at tomorrow and you look at next week and maybe you project to 2022, what is your outlook? Are you, are you literally just bracing for the worst? Now what, what's going to come next? You know, when's the other shoe going to drop? Or are you believing the best? W- what is it for you? L- what was it for the Israelites? It's interesting. Remember, when they went into the land, they looked and what they see. They saw giants. They were all huge. They saw cities fortified. They saw huge walls. They saw locked gates. They they saw themselves as grasshoppers. They looked to themselves as that. Here's what I never saw, though. It's crazy that they never looked to God. You know, the one who's able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine? They never looked to him. It's like you're looking to all these circumstances and all these things. You're missing the promise maker and the promise keeper. Your outlook determines your outcome, I promise you. I'll show it to you. It's not just me saying it. God will show you, I promise. And by the way, God was, when he sent the 12 in, that was a test. Not by Moses, but by God. See, God's going to test your faith. He wants you to, and now he knows where it's at. He's God. He wants you to know where you're at. God, see, God knows that a faith that is tested is faith that can be trusted. That it is. Now to an unbelieving world, to an unbelieving world, it is insane to put your faith in an unseen God, isn't it? That is insanity. But understand something, when you have been touched by God, when when God, when that unseen God has transformed your life through the power of Jesus Christ, it's insane not to follow him. It's insane not to believe in him. It's insane not to go all in for him. God. It, it was just insanity with the way they were thinking. Let's continue to Numbers 14. The whole, so their, their unbelief impacts so many people. Read the first verse, or, or, or I'll read it for you, but you read it along in your head. The whole community began weeping aloud. They cried all night. Their outlook had changed. We're defeated. We're not going in. See, your unbelief, your doubt, it's not just going to impact you. It is going to impact it is going to impact your family. It is going to impact your 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 coworkers. It will impact your friends, it will impact your children. I mean, it will even your dog can even sense your unbelief. Your cat has no idea, but your dog, he gets it. They get it. They just know. Your unbelief is going to impact way more than you. It did for them. They got the whole community in fear. And in unbelief, their voices rose so, to a great chorus, they protested against Moses and his brother. <laughs> Listen to what they say. Oh, and don't forget this statement. This is huge. If only we had died in Egypt, they're wanting death. They're, they're asking for death. If only we had died in Egypt or even here, here in the wilderness, our wives, our little ones, they're gonna be carried off. Whoa, you're, you're making some, some declarations here. Wow, your outlook does not look good. That might determine your outcome. That's what's going to happen. Our wives and little ones, they're carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt, back to slavery? Uh, Then they plotted against Moses. Let's choose a new leader. Let's go back to slavery. Let's go back to bondage. Let's go back to addiction. Let's go back to dysfunction. Let's go back to a toxic relationship. How insane. Their outlook is so twisted and defeated. They're defeating themselves. Look at Moses and Aaron. They fall face down on the ground before the whole community. I mean, they're like two of the men who explored the land. Remember Joshua? I haven't mentioned him yet. Remember Caleb? He's already spoken to it once. Now Joshua is also speaking into it. And and they said to the people, you guys, the land we traveled through, we explored, stop, change your outlook. It's a wonderful land. It was amazing. And if the Lord's pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land. He'll give it to us. It is rich. It is land flowing. There it is again with milk and honey. And verse 9, don't miss it. Do not rebel against the Lord. Unbelief is rebellion against God. Don't rebel against them. Stop unbelieving. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey. It's interesting. We know what the Israelites said. Remember when they said they'll devour us? So, so they thought they were the prey. And here Caleb and Joshua are teaching them, no, no, no. You got to change your outlook. They're the prey. We're going after them. Got to change the way you think. Got to change the, what you believe. They're only—they they're, have no protection. But the Lord's with us. Don't be afraid. Do you remember earlier when I had you pause at that verse three, where it said that where they were crying out, "We want to go back to Egypt. Why didn't God just kill us in Egypt? Why does why don't we just die in the die in the wilderness?" Remember, that's what they were asking for. Here's what God says: because, because they won't go in the land. They're choosing to live by fear. You will all drop dead in the wilderness. (laughs) That's exactly what they asked for. It's insane. The words you speak, what you believe, you can bring life to something, you can bring death to something. The power that we have. They asked to die in the wilderness. God says, that's what you want, I'll give it to you. You'll drop dead. Anybody, anybody 20 years of age or older, Included in this registration, you original two, th- 2 million people, anybody that's over 20, I'd be like, I, I, I mean, I used to make fake IDs to make it look like I was older. I'd be making a fake ID. I'm 19, you know, but anyway. So anybody 20 and older, you'll drop dead. It's over for you. you you're not going, this is a crazy statement. Listen to how oxymoronic this is. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. God swore to give them life, to give them provision, to give them bounty, to give them th- beauty, to give them newness, to give them a second chance. God swore it to them, and they're not going to get it. You're not, I swore to you, and you won't get it. See, God's promises are all true. I'm just convinced most of them will never be fulfilled. I don't believe it. I, I see them unfulfilled all the time. God's will is going to be done. Actually, most of the time it's not. God's promises are true, but that's not up to him. It's up to us. For two million people, it wasn't. Two million had the promise. Two. I'll show you right here. Two would enter. You're not going to enter and occupy the land. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua. They'll be the only exceptions. They're the one that's going to step into the promise. They're the one that's going to step into the provision. Why were they the exception? What? They were the, the only adult Israelites from the first generation to, to enter into the fullness of God's calling. Two million were, were called from slavery and stepped into that. Two stepped into new life, into the promise. And I think this is so many people today. And why I'm so convinced about this, because this was me most of my life. I stepped out of addiction. Oh, I'm, I'm free. I'm not in that bondage anymore. God, why do I still want to, why, why do some days I still want to kill myself? Why some days do I st- I'm still so defeated, still so depressed? I remember being sober and telling God, God, if this is what it feels like to be sober, bring on the drugs. Misery. It's because I, I, God brought me out of something, I just wasn't stepping into what he had for me. God wants you to step into the promise. God, why was it so different for them? And, and people today, that even saved People. They're led out of, of spiritual sin. Led out of guilt. Uh, they've been forgiven. They're just, not, they're just not flourishing. They're just not living the abundant life that Jesus promised. I go to church. I mean, I, I pray. I do these things, but yet I'm just struggling. And it's a, this plodding, and it's miserable. It's because you haven't stepped into the promise. That's why. I promise you this. Why, 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 why did the other Israelites not do it? Go backwards. Well, pastor, you said it was their outlook. Their outlook determined their outcome. Ah, drill even deeper. Why did they have that outlook? Why was their outlook one of defeat? Put up Numbers 14, 9. Do not rebel against the Lord, Moses said. Or actually, no, I think this is Caleb and Joshua speaking. Do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid. Say afraid. Don't be afraid of the people. Isn't that what it was? They're afraid of the giants. They're afraid of the, 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 the size. They're going to hurt us. They're, they're going to do something to us. We can't get in there. We're going we're to be defeated. The funny thing is they, they, they were already defeated. They're only, okay, excuse me. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Again, Caleb and Joshua say it again. Don't be afraid. Fear I was at a conference this week and this woman speaking, she said something and God, he's so crazy the way he'll, he'll speak. And I couldn't get by the statement she made. I couldn't get by it. And I'm like, God, I'm gonna, it, and it's perfect for today. Fear is the currency of oppression. I want that to sink in for a second. You know what oppression is, right? It's someone's over you, someone's hindering you, someone's holding you back, something, something. The, the, okay, the Israelites were oppressed. Fear is the currency of oppression. So what, what does that mean? It means that it will either oppress you or, or God is going to use, or, or fear is going to oppress you or, or God's going to use, or not, God's going to use it, or fear is going to be used to oppress others the best way for me to describe this is the Israelites and the Egyptians. Um, The Israelites were in slavery for over over 400 years. Why? Well, fear. I mean, they're whipping me. They're beating me. We can't go anywhere. They'll kill us. It's fear. Okay, how did they get there? Why did did Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, enslave them in the first place? Do you know why? It's because of fear. Pharaoh didn't hate hate the Israelites. He didn't hate them. He he, he feared them. He feared that, if you you could read it in Exodus for yourself, you should this week. He feared that the Israelites would get so big and so powerful, they would overtake the Egyptians. So you know what he said before it happened? He said, let's enslave them. They'll do our work. They'll do what we say. They can't go here and they can't go there. They can only be in this section right here. And we'll feed them and we'll make them happy doing that. But they're our slaves. Fear. I'm going to say it again. Fear either oppresses you or uses you to oppress others. This is why people aren't stepping into promises. Let's put it in today's terms. Over the last 18, 20 months, the biggest, I'd say, issue or symptom or struggle, it isn't COVID. COVID is very real and very bad. It's a disease, right? Any disease is bad. But that's not, that's not the biggest thing. The division of all the people, and people are fighting people, that's not the biggest issue. The racism that has, like, been brought up in all this, that's, a, that's not the biggest issue. The vaccine! That's not the biggest issue. Let, let, actually, let's park at the vaccine for a second. Sometimes I debate if I should say things or not, but I'm just going to do it. So <laughs> um, The vaccine, (laughs) I'm going to, don't worry. So the vaccine, and this isn't a political stance. This is, I'll show you, it's a biblical stance. But that's, it's just a good example because that's kind of a hot topic right now and the mandate and all this stuff. So the vaccine, if you're you're for the vaccine, well, you're living in fear. And if you're against the vaccine, there's also, you're living in some fear. If you're honest, right? If you're for the vaccine, of course, you're fearing a disease that's not good. I want to be. I want to protect myself from it. I don't want to get that, I don't, or I don't want to get as sick or whatever. So you're fearing that. Also, also fearing, you know, uh, what what people might think if if that you got it, because there's always a camp that doesn't believe in it. and They're not going to get it. So your fear of other people and what they might think. There's fear, fear there. If you're against it or you don't want to take it for some reason, there's fear there too. You got fear of like, I don't know what exactly. There's no long-term testing. I, you know, 20 years, am I gonna grow a third arm, you know? Actually, that'd be, you could get a lot done, but uh, you know, you don't want that. So, um, so what are the side effects? I don't know the side effects. Um, but again, there's fear of people. What if I choose not to get it? And then, you know, they, they judge me. What if all of my coworkers are get, getting it, but I'm not, and they're gonna single me out? Fear is the currency of oppression. It's, vaccine isn't the issue. This isn't about the vaccine. I'm using that as an example. I'm talking about fear. I'm talking about fear. It, it's all over the place. You know, fear. I prayed for a guy this week. Here's what he told me. Eyes were welled up. And he said, I need you to pray for me. He said, I put my, I've been, for, been with this company for years. And I put in my two weeks. He said, they're, gonna, they're mandating the, ma- the vaccine and he didn't tell me why, but he said, I, "I, I, I don't want to do that." So I laid a hand on him and I prayed over him. And I thought to myself, "God, there's so much fear." The mandate—I mean, let me bring it back to the Bible. I said I would. The greatest thing I can put in my body is the Holy Spirit. Is that fair to say? If you're a believer, you would nod your head yes to me. Because the Holy Spirit, see, understand something. If you don't come from a church background, or maybe you don't even know how to get saved and go to heaven. I'll tell you, the Bible says that when you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he died and rose, uh, and and he died to take away your sins. And you call on his name, and you ask him to come into you and make you new. Forgive you. The Holy Spirit, which is Jesus, in spirit form, enter into you. That happens. That literally, physically happens. Enter into you and make you new. It it is the greatest miracle in history. By the way, you'll have that opportunity here in about seven minutes. So that's the—so if anything should be forced, right, do this! Take this! And God's gonna shove the Holy Spirit in you. I mean, you think He would? It's good! God gets to spend forever with you then. He likes that. God wants that. But God doesn't do that. Do you know why? Because love always involves a choice. It always does. And when you take away choice, God don't even do that. Now you think I'm getting all political, and I'm not, because I I could spin it the other way. I, I could tell you that you could force somebody. I could have a company, and I say, you know what? You, if you take the vaccine, you can't work here. What if that was the position? What if that was it? If you, if you, what, did I see it right? If you don't take the vaccine, what am I trying, I'm trying to reverse it. Why, why, why can't I think straight? The microphone thing maybe got me off? So you get what I'm saying. Reverse the roles. So right now, many things, people are saying, well, take the vaccine or you can't work here. What if they said, don't take the vaccine? What if it was just, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get you, I'm trying to help you understand it's not about the vaccine. It's about choice God gives us choice. And when you start to steal that from people, fear runs wild. Oppression runs wild. Oh, but it's healthy. Actually, it's, it's tyranny is what it is. Okay? Okay, I'm getting a little bit crazy right now. I better stop. starting to toe the line a little bit. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I mean, I hope I'm not, my gosh, if, if that's, most of you, I think, would see that. I'm not talking vaccine. I'm not, I'm talking, God says, you get to choose, you get free will, God, if He doesn't force me to have the Holy Spirit in my body. But you could flip it to and say it the other way. Just so you know that I'm not in some sort of this way, that way. My point is this. Say, I have a choice. You've got a choice today. You've got a choice today. That is beautiful news. You can choose faith or you can choose fear. We're back to stepping in the promise. Caleb and Joshua—they chose faith. They would have to wait 40 years. They were penalized the Israelites because of the Israelites. They were penalized for every day they were, they were on their scouting mission. They were penalized one year. Scouting mission took 40 days. Penalized 40 years before you'll enter. There's consequences for our unbelief. There's consequences for our sin. So finally, they get to the 40. They get to the 40 years. Imagine Caleb and Joshua. All their all their buddies—they've dropped dead in the wilderness. Remember. And they get to the point, we have a choice. And, and, and jo- the book of Joshua, it wouldn't even exist if Joshua wouldn't have made that choice with Caleb. It wouldn't, but he did. And he became the commander-in-chief of the Israelites after Moses died. And they get to the Jordan River, the stepping point, this crossing point. Joshua 3.8. Joshua says, give this command to the priests. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. It's time. Somebody say it's time. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river. Take a few steps into the promise. They're ready to step into the promise. They're ready to step into the provision. They're ready to step into the land that God wants them to occupy. I came to tell somebody this. God didn't bring you this far to stop here. God didn't bring you this far to only come this far. It is time to take a step. You have a choice, God. You st- we stand overlooking the promised land. I believe it for our church, and I know that I, I know this is very true about what God is doing in, in, in me and my heart. Since we moved to Nebraska, Christian, to this location, I've had it, I, I but and I'm not exaggerating. Probably close to ten people come up to me different times. Oh my gosh, God's up to something. Oh my gosh, God's doing something, and I know it. I don't know what. I don't know what, but I know that his plans are good. But so many people are like, we're on, the, we're on like this cusp of just, just revival, and this cusp of like, God's going to do something big. And I believe it with all my heart. I think he already is, but he's just getting started. So, and God's been on me on this for a while. So if I'm going to preach it, we better practice it. So one of the steps that I'm taking, that we're taking as a church, and you can decide... And this is really, you have a choice. I'm going to keep reminding you, you have a choice in this. But God, it's funny because God says, Monty, you've been asking for a lot of things. You, <laughs> and I do. But, you know, you want this, you want that. And I'm like, God, you're a big God. You can do it. And, and it's like God is saying, if you believe what, what I'm wanting to do in Meadows Church and in your life, see, faith that is tested is faith that is trusted. He says i want you to invest i want i want you to show me that you're preparing for what i'm what, what i have for you we we've never done this before but on december 5th that's like what just a month away on december 5th we're going to do a faith offering and and you, if you're thinking about oh it's about money promise you it's not it's about obedience and stepping into the promise that god wants and, and, and here's the thing about this faith offering it isn't a tie, this it's a tie this 10% that you return to God, it's not even yours, you give it back to Him. This is an offering where you get to choose. You, you're you supposed to pray about it. That's why I'm giving you like three or four weeks, because I want you to pray. And if God says, Don't give anything, I don't, I don't want you to give anything. Okay? Cause because offerings and tithes are way different. And this that's a whole nother thing, but I'll tell you one thing. Um I had a guy one time, he, he wanted to argue about, cause he didn't want to give any money or whatever. And I said, you don't, you, don't, you don't have to do anything. We're not charging, come in, just take the word of God. I'll preach God's word. But you said 10%, I said, I didn't say it, God said it. Why are you yelling at me, yell at God. I'm just preaching the word of God, getting all upset. And he said, well, Paul said, you're supposed to give what, how do you put it? Cause I got the scripture right here. He said, Paul said, decide in your heart how much to give. And I said, I said, okay, now you're talking, now you're talking theology. So I can speak into that. I said, Paul wasn't talking about a tithe. That, Paul's talking about an offering. The, the, I said, "Sir, what you're talking about? People like to take scripture out of context. I don't know if you know that." So anyway, so case. I said that offering that Paul was talking about when he said, "Give according to how God leads you." He, that was an offering that uh, the churches Corinth, being one of them, were taking for Jerusalem, a church, the first church, a church that was struggling. That was a free will offering. It's like, hey, let's gather money. Who wants to give this? You want to give that? Whatever. It had nothing to do with the tithe. Nothing. There, it wasn't even the same thing. See, he didn't like that answer either. It didn't matter. Whatever. So, this what I'm saying is it's a it's a free will offering. But 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 I'll lead the charge. My family will too. And I'm praying about what God wants me to give. And I hope it's extravagant. And and, and I want to do that because I know that God wants to bless us in some way. And I want to show God my man we're in. And I don't know what it looks like. I can't even stand up here and tell you, well, when, we get, when the money comes in, it's going here. I don't know. God, God hasn't revealed that yet. I just know that something, he wants to do something big. That's all I know. And I just want to be honest with you. Let me read the full scripture in context. This is what God gave me. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds gets a small crop. But the one who plants generously gets a generous crop. You reap what you sow is what he's saying. You must decide in your heart on this free will offering how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. That, that's why I, I, I want to just, I'm not going to say, hey, let's do it now or next week. No, no, no. You pray about it. You go to God. You, 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 it's you and God. No, no pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. The question is, do I believe that? And do you? Then you will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. See, I believe the promise of God. It's not easy to step into it, but I believe it. So you have time to pray about that, and that'll be the fifth. And that's just the one step that I know that we're supposed to take as a church. God's given me individual steps that, I'm, that, that, that he's leading me towards. None that I can share right now, because God is still working, and I'm still praying. And I want you to, you to pray too. But here's what I'm going to tell you about prayer. God's going to ask you to step into a promise. What is it today I'm not asking about a month from now. I'm not asking about tomorrow. I'm talking about right now. What promise are you not stepping into that God's given you? Yours will be different than yours. Yours will be different than yours. They'll be different. God will speak to you individually. And if you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I'll just, I'll kind of pray. Let me pray about clarity. Prayer is good. But if you've been praying about it for months, you're probably not praying for clarity. You might be praying just not to do it. You might be praying to get out of it. Because I've done that too. I mean, you, believe it or not, you can pray to get out of things. Well, I just want to pray for clarity. Sometimes, sometimes, it's, sometimes we have to stop praying for clarity for God's plan for our life and start praying for faith to step into the plan that he already has. Right? That's, what I, that's what, how I want to live. I don't know what it is for you. Is it stepping into a group? Is it stepping into a, a dream team? Is it something not even involved in this context, but the real church when you leave here? at work, in your family. What are you supposed to step into? There's promises that are on the table. I don't want you to leave them there. I'm begging you, don't leave them there. What promised land are you supposed to step into? I wrote down, God has us looking over the promised land. We have an option. We can play it safe. You have a choice. You can go with what's familiar. What you've always done. This is the way I've always done it. And how does it work for you? You can, you can do the familiar. You can do what's normal. Or by faith, you can step away from your normal thinking. Step away from your normal living. That's what God might want you to do. See, here's the thing. You can either like exist in the normal and get by, or you can live in the supernatural and be blessed beyond measure. That's what God wants to do. I hope you believe it. I hope you believe it. And if you're just thinking financial right now, God, you're thinking small. Trust me. The gospel, I gave it to you quickly. I'll give it to you again. Because the biggest thing you can step into right now is new life. And some of you, you believe in Jesus. You just, you just haven't surrendered your life to him. The devil believes in Jesus. He hasn't surrendered his life to him. Demons believe in Jesus. They haven't surrendered their life to There's a difference is what I'm saying. I believed in Jesus and I was living like a heathen, like the world. Addicted to drugs, doing all kinds of things that most people that don't even give a rip about God do. My life looked no different until I stepped into the promise. So God sent Jesus. The greatest promise you could be given the greatest gift you could be given. Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Son of God, comes and lives 33 years on the earth. Never hurts anybody. Never has a bad thought. Never, never, I mean, if they had cars, he wouldn't have flipped anybody off driving a car. He wouldn't do any of that. Okay, can you say that? I wish I could. Anyway, so, but Jesus was perfect. And, and Jesus, this is crazy. He goes to the cross, and the Bible says the joy set before him. He goes to the cross. I think people think, well, Jesus, you know, He begrudgingly went to the cross. All right, they're heathens. They're sinners. I'll go get crucified for them. It wasn't Jesus. Here's what Jesus would be doing up in heaven with God. God, let's go. Send me. Send me. I I got it. I got it. I got it. God's like, I know you do, son. Send me. They're hurting. They're struggling. They're doing things to each other. They're hurting themselves. They're going to be separated from us. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. And God's like, go. And Jesus goes and he rushes in. He's so in love with you. He rushes in. Give me the cross. Give it to me. It was, the, it was the most horrid thing you could ever imagine. We can't imagine it. But Jesus did it. And he dies on a cross for you and for me. Will you step into the promise? The death wasn't the end. That 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 the real miracle happened three days later. Remember three days later? In three days, the Israelites start complaining. They start complaining, we're gonna die. Three days later, Jesus says, I want you to live. I want you to live. So three days later, they put him in the tomb, and three days later, they go and check out the tomb. Guess what? The tomb is empty. Why? Because Jesus Christ, that sinless, spotless Son of God, was alive, and he's alive today. He's alive now. You can have his power. It can be in you. The Holy Spirit can be in you. The Bible says you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You ask him to come into your life and and make you new. He'll do it. I'm gonna pray for you. There's the online type, I choose Jesus in the comments. Right now, I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're watching this five years from now. It's a word for you today. Type it right now and we'll connect with you. In the room, there's cards. They're indicators for us so we know what God's doing. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. Checking a box doesn't save you. Surrender your life to Jesus, calling on his name asking him to come into you and make you new and starting a relationship with him, that saves you. God, I want the promises of God, and I believe that you do too. I wrote down the dream that God has placed in you is bigger than any doubt around you. You need to start believing that today. What promise will you step into? In a month, we got a faith offering. That's a piece. That's a month away. I'm talking today. Let me pray for you. Father, Father, When I think about all the promises, I mean, there's thousands. I don't even know the number. I've heard five, 6,000. <laughs> That's just what's recorded in, in your word, by the way. Promises that you give. How many are realized? How many are fulfilled? We love to shout and scream about the, the, the promises of God. You know what I wanna shout and scream about? The ones that we take hold of. The ones that we, we actually step into. Because promises are meaningless. Unless we believe them and act on them. I want to be a church of action. And I believe that everybody here does too. That's why they're here today. God, first and foremost for the people that are like me. They're living a life that is not of you. And they know it. And whether this is a first time commitment or they're getting back on track. God, I pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that they surrender everything right now. They call on the name of Jesus and ask you by your power, Holy Spirit, come into them right now. Physically, this happens. This isn't some uh, uh, parable or some illustration. The Holy Spirit will physically enter into you and start to change you. Now, God, here's what I know we may not change in a split second, but here's what I know we will change eventually. Because you cannot have Christ in you and not change. That is impossible. And that's how I knew that I didn't have you. Because my life wasn't changing. My life was the same. A downward spiral based on stupid, selfish decisions. And God, if anybody can relate to that, I pray right now by your power that they are surrendering their life to you. They're filling out cards, or letting us know. We will celebrate with them, God. What other promise are we leaving on the table? What Jordan do we have to step into today and take the land? Take the giants. Live in this beautiful lush land of milk and honey, God. Work in our hearts. Work in our lives. Speak individually on purpose. Fear. I just rebuke you in the name of Jesus. God, fear is not of God. It is of the enemy. And if you're living in fear, that is oppression. That is what, that is the enemy. Demons, the devil are working on you. No doubt about it. And God, they're not welcome here. You know that. So we just rebuke them in the name of Jesus. And here's what I know, here's what I know. If fear is the currency of oppression, then the currencies of God are faith, hope, and love. Church, if you agree, put your hands together. Give God a shout of praise for 10 seconds. Let Him know that you love Him, that you, wa- you want to step into the promise. God, have your way. We love you. We thank you. We will never stop declaring that in you, Father, the best is yet to come. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, I wanna thank you so much for tuning in today, but don't stop there. I invite you to like or subscribe to our social channels. That way you don't miss a single video, update, or message. But not only that, would you consider sharing this message with a friend, coworker? family member i mean so many people need hope and encouragement and you have the ability to bring it directly to them finally one more thing i want to ask that you would consider giving financially to this ministry i mean god has done so much but yet we believe he wants to do so much more like so many more people he wants to reach so much more hope he wants to give so many more lives that he wants to save and your investment can help make that happen so again thank you so much i love you And God loves you more. God bless you.